Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. this evening, we understand that this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. As I mentioned Sunday morning, we find here before us in this chapter not three parables, but rather one parable with three divine aspects according to the lips of our Lord in chapter 15 and verse number 3, where Jesus said, where the Bible says that He, speaking about Jesus, spake this parable unto them saying. And then when he gets the first part of the lost sheep, it does not say and he spoke another parable unto them, but rather Jesus continues his words of one parable. I've already mentioned as well that I believe this passage of scripture and it would be uh, probably not just another message for another day, but probably be another series of messages uh, for another uh, portion of time to preach out of this passage why I believe that God uh, and even even Christ as as he spoke these words and this moment in his life intended for us to see each of these three aspects of this parable as a parable to describe how Jesus receives sinners. Amen. That was the context according to verse number two. The Pharisees and scribes murmured saying this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And Jesus breaks out into the words of this parable in order to talk about that sheep that'll go astray and there's a shepherd that will receive them. Amen. That there was a uh, there was a piece of silver, a coin, if you will, uh, that was lost and there was someone that hunted for them and searched for them and got down in the depths of the world, amen, to pull them out of it, clean them off and restore them to himself or herself according to the story of verse number 8. Amen. Uh, As that uh, description there uh, is mentioned in verse number 8, talking about a woman having 10 pieces of silver. Amen. And uh, amen. But verse number 11 says that also there was a son that according to uh, verse number 24 was dead, was lost. Amen. And was found alive and was found. Amen. And there was rejoicing in the fact that he was found. And each of these three things, as I have already mentioned before, that uh, they speak of a they speak of a uh, of someone or something that was lost was found, and then because they were found, there was rejoicing because of it. Amen. Of course, you can get into the details of this and and try to make other applications, and I believe we should. Amen. I do believe, as I preach Sunday morning, that there is a great application to the backslider, but what Jesus intended purpose, although in his sovereignty he knew that we would apply it to backsliding and do so rightfully. I believe he put all those details in there so we could do that, but his intended purpose was to let us know that there's a God that receives sinners. Amen. However, tonight I would like to take both of those vantage points in this text and mention something that I uh, briefly uh, mentioned on Sunday morning and really preach a message in a message if you would. I mentioned Sunday morning that we talked about uh, the prodigal in the parable and we talked about the dialogue of the prodigal. We talked about the departure of the prodigal. We talked about the devastation of the prodigal and the decisions of the prodigal. Amen. And as we talked about this prodigal and his departure and how he left the father and how he left the father's house and he did it because uh, he had idolized money, amen, and thought that was all that he needed, amen, and he went out, and the Bible talks about in the verse number 13, and the Bible says, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together, all of his inheritance and all of the goods and all of the things that he would have had before in his father's house, gathered up every bit of his belongings, amen, and the Bible 
Bible says there that he gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there in the far country wasted his substance with riotous living. Amen. And if you remember on Sunday morning, we talked about this prodigal and how the prodigals of our day will take their journey into a far country. It's not the journey that the father wanted. It's not the journey that his family would have wanted. It's not the journey that his friends on the farm would have wanted him to take. But rather it was his journey and it was the journey that he chose and it was the journey that he wanted to make. Amen. And the Bible makes emphasis on the fact that he took this journey that it wasn't allowed of him but he took it of his own accord and of his own choosing. Amen. And I wanted to give you a few reasons tonight. I, I, I mentioned Sunday morning that I've done a word study on the words far country in the scriptures. And how not one of the mentions of a far country in the scriptures is mentioned in a positive way or as, or as if it is a good place to be. Amen. And so I want to talk to, I want to preach to you tonight on the subject why no one should ever choose the far country. Why no one should ever choose the far country. And I believe as we come to our text tonight, amen, without even departing therefrom, we can find plenty of reasons why you and I should not leave for the far country, amen. I believe Sunday morning we talked about enough things as to why we shouldn't leave for the far country, amen. We, we, we think about, amen, the, uh, the far country and talk about verse number 14 where the Bible says, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Amen. Verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed a swine, and he would, have, would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. We talked about Sunday morning. What a devastating place the far country is, how devastation uh, comes in the form of destitution, how it comes in the form of dependence, how it comes in the form of desire. Amen. But I want to give you just a few more reasons tonight according to not just this passage, but from the other places in the scripture uh, where the far country is mentioned and how it is mentioned as a place where none of us should ever make the choice that this prodigal made. And I will say this this evening, if you go to the far country, you will not be forced to go there, but you will take a journey there. You will choose to go there, amen, of your own accord. If you're not saved in here tonight, you will still choose, amen, every day of your life to reject Christ and to stay in the far country. You'll choose the far country every day, but you don't choose Jesus, and you don't choose to be born again. And if you are saved, amen, and you choose to depart from the world, amen, you choose to depart uh, from uh, for the Father's house and the things of God and the things that pleases the Lord, you will choose that as well, amen. And so we see this, and go with me tonight to the, uh, to the book of Joshua chapter number 9, Joshua chapter number 9. It's not often that I preach a topical message, amen, but when I do, I want us to preach one while we're here, amen. Joshua chapter number 9, and we'll read beginning in verse number 1 to get the context here. Joshua chapter number 9 is the very first place in all of the Word of God that the phrase far country is mentioned. And if you know anything about biblical hermeneutics, and this doesn't, this is not, uh, this is not completely flawless, uh, but when it comes to studying the Word of God, uh, there is something called a first mention principle. Amen. That you go to the first place, something is found in the Word of God, and it will usually, not always, but it will usually carry that connotation throughout the rest of Scripture. I believe this one does. And so let's look at it this evening, Joshua chapter number 9. And of verse number one, again, a very well-known passage of Scripture. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, and it came to pass 
when all the kings which were on this side Jordan in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof. Uh, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So they're making a league, if you will. They're making a plan to fight together against the children of Israel. Notice verse 3. And when the, inhabit the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, and I, I think everybody in here that's at least a Bible student read the uh, book of Joshua and other books, I think we will understand that what Joshua did to Jericho and to Ai was, was, uh, was, was a great defeat. And we'll see this here. Notice verse 4, that did, excuse me, they did work uh, wildly or with, with wiles, if you will, subtly, amen, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses or their donkeys and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and cl clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Notice that. We become from a far country. Notice this. Now therefore make ye a league with us. Verse 7. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country, thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan to Sihon king of Heshbon and to Og king of Bashan which was at Ashtaroth where, uh, wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country uh, spake to us saying take victuals with you for the journey and go to meet them and say unto them we are your servants. Therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on uh, the day which, uh, on the day we came forth to go unto you. And uh, But now behold it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new. Notice that. And behold they be rent and these garments and our, and our garments and our shoes uh, are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Pay attention to verse 14. That's important. Look at verse 15. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to, uh, to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. And it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they were heard that uh, they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their, their cities on the third day. And it goes on in verse number 18. And it says the children of Israel smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Uh, and all the congregation murmured against the princes. But all the princes said unto the congregation we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This will we do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swear upon them. Notice, notice what the Bible says here in verse number 22. And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, saying, We are, from, we are very far from you when ye dwell among us. And I'm going to stop uh, reading right there. I think you understand uh, the context 
of this story, these individuals were afraid of what the army of the children of Israel would do unto them if they were engaged in battle and they believed that they could uh, trick the children of Israel in, uh, in uh, this manner of taking the old garments and the old food and all of those things into telling them that they were for a far country and that they would be received they would be pitying the hearts of Joshua and the children of Israel they would be received and they would have peace and they would be able to be in league together to where the children of Israel would not defeat them in battle and kill them as they had been told to do amen God did tell uh, the children of Israel told Joshua uh, to lead in uh, the destruction of all of the pagan uh, the pagan uh, nations around them amen and they believed that if Joshua was to come upon them that they would be defeated and an act of preserving their life they concocted this uh, wily ruse if you will in order to save their life and amen Joshua uh, does not investigate the Bible says that he does not seek the counsel of the Lord and he just took their vittles and he took them in and he made a league with them and in doing so Joshua made a grave mistake but here in this passage of scripture are the first two times that we find mention of a far country and it gives us the idea that a far country is a place where they are known for their lies they said even though they were for a, from a country that was near. They said that they were from a far country. And the entire context of this conversation deals with their deception. And can I remind you this evening, if there's one thing that we find out, amen, from the use of this word in the scripture, and if there's one thing we find out uh, from, uh, the, from our passage in Luke chapter number 15, it is if you depart for the far country, that it is a place filled with life and it's a place filled with deception. Amen. I believe we see that. Amen. Joshua, I believe no doubt would have wished that he would have sought God before he made this decision to go into, uh, into a league with those that said they were coming from a far country even though I believe in verse number 8 we see him beginning to ask well-intentioned questions when he said, when the Bible said Joshua said, who are ye and from whence come ye. Amen. He asked some preliminary questions. He asked some intended questions. Amen. But if, you, but if you just simply rely on the answers that you get from the world, amen, you will be mistaken. You will wish that you would have consulted the Lord. Amen. And that's what happens uh, to Joshua here when it comes to dealing with someone that says they were from a far country. Amen. I'd submit to you that a far country is a place that was known for its lives. Amen. I think about that Joshua as he looked at these individuals that said they were from a far country. Amen. If you look at them as he looked at them and he would have viewed what they said was the visible representation of a far country. It would have been something that was wore out. It would have been something that had been corrupted. It would have been something. Uh, amen. Uh, that, that had all of these issues with it, but yet, uh, as he looked at them, as they tried to display what it would look like coming from a far country, everything he saw was lies. Everything he saw was deception. And can I remind you this evening, if you're part of the crowd that lives in the first interpretation of Luke chapter number 15 and you're not saved, you're lost this evening, can I remind you that to stay unsaved and to stay in the world and to stay a child of the devil without God or his son in your life. Amen. All you'll ever know is deception. All you'll ever know is lies. Amen. I believe when we think about that prodigal, what would have drawn him to the far country? What would have made him uh, desirous of the things there? It's not uh, because it was desirous. It's not because it had anything good for him. Amen. I believe the far country is very much akin uh, to the billboard signs where you'll see a, a Budweiser on a billboard somewhere and it may
amen, or a commercial, amen, that shows some kind of uh, some kind of alcohol, where they'll make it look fun, and they'll make it look uh, appealing, and they'll make it look refreshing, and they'll make it look like you'll have a great time, but what they don't show you is the other side of the billboard, what they don't show you is a pickup truck racked around the tree somewhere, and somebody's teenage boy or girl absolutely uh, dying in their own blood, amen, on the side of the road because they made a choice to live in the far country and accept the lies of the far country and the deception of a far country, amen, the world would want you to think, sinner friend, that if you'll live in the far country, you'll enjoy the best out of life, and the church is going to keep you down, and Jesus is going to keep you from having fun, and being a Christian will be the worst decision for your life, the far country, a uh, saint, uh, saint of God, amen, will try to convince you that a life of selling out to God means you won't have anything, amen, means you won't be able to enjoy what everybody else enjoys, and that sanctification is something that isn't, uh, isn't something to be desired, and holiness is not something to be desired in a relationship with God, it's not something to be desired, and prayer time is a wasted time, and the Word of God has nothing to offer you, that it's just a book written by men, but can I tell you that for the lost and undone, and the far country, amen, what it says, amen, it's nothing but lies, amen, the best life is the Christ life, amen, the best life to live is one living serving Jesus, amen, saint of God, that's saved, but you're not surrendered, and you're not sold out, if you'll give your life to God, he'll make it something that it never would have been by itself. There's lies that come out of the far country. It is a place to where you will not be given the truth, but you'll be given deception, amen. So you shouldn't go. No one should choose to go to the far country because it is a place that is known for its lies. Number two, go with me to Second Chronicles chapter number six. Second Chronicles chapter number six. I'm sure as long as I spent in this text in our series not long ago, y'all probably dread seeing me come back. Second Chronicles chapter number six. Amen. I don't know if you enjoyed it, but I enjoyed that series. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Go into Second Chronicles chapter number six. Look at verse number thirty-two. Verse number thirty-two. <clears throat> Amen. Here in this passage of Scripture, obviously, as I've preached about at length in days gone by, Solomon here is giving a dedicatory prayer at the, uh, the foundation day of the temple, the dedication day of the temple. He begins in verse number 1 through verse number 11, giving a sermon on that dedication day. In verse number 12, through the end of the chapter, we find Solomon giving a lengthy dedication prayer as he dedicated this temple. In his prayer, he begins to break off into praying for different categories of people, different groups of people that will be affected by the ministry of this temple, and in particular, in the, in the ability of praying and the ministry of prayer in this temple. Look at verse number 32. The Bible says, Moreover, concerning the stranger, this is Solomon praying. He's talking to the Lord. He says, Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but, notice this, is come from a far country for thy great name's sake and thy mighty hand and thy stretched out arm. If they come and pray in this place, then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all, uh, that all people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee. 
as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. And we'll conclude reading in this prayer there. But number two, not only do I believe that we see that no one should choose to go to the far country because it is identified as a place known for lies, but it is also identified as a place that is, and this is not alliterated, but it is a place identified as a place that is inhabited by those that are not God's people, and that prayer is made to God as, as God's man begs for God to even hear their prayers. Think about that. All of these different categories of people that Solomon prays when it comes to praying toward the house of God and the prayer ministry of the temple. Solomon goes through those lists and in each category, in each different group of person, uh, he says that if they pray, hear their prayer, answer their prayer, meet their need. And one of the groups of people, amen, that Solomon prays for is the stranger, those that are not part of the children of Israel, not part of the people of Israel. And he begs God to hear them when they pray. First of all, let me say that Solomon, as I have stated before, is praying that God would receive the prayer of strangers from the far country that have come out of the far country and come to Jerusalem. And the Bible says, for thy, thy great name's sake. That's speaking of the Lord's magnificent testimony. The testimony that he has of, of what he, of who he is. Amen. And then uh, he says, and thy mighty hand. And thy stretched out arm. Amen. That's talking about the Lord's mighty acts, not just who he is and his magnificent testimony, but what he does. So here Solomon is praying and he talks about the stranger that is leaving their far country, that is leaving the place of, of uh, that they had called home, uh, with, that are not part of the children of Israel. And they're making their way to Jerusalem. They're making their way to the temple because they've heard about who God is and the, who the God of Israel is and they've heard of what God can do and now they come and they want to pray and they want to have a relationship with that God and Solomon even despite their intention of leaving where they are and coming to where uh, God, uh, God's house was, amen Solomon still saw a need because of them being a stranger and because of them coming out of a far country despite leaving the far country he still saw something that made him feel as if he needed to pray and beg God to even hear them when they pray. Let me say this tonight. There are very few prayers that do come out of the far country. Most people in the far country are not interested in praying. Amen. Amen. We do find in our text for this prodigal a prayer that uh, a, 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 a semblance of a prayer uh, coming out of the far country when he makes that decision and that conversation that goes on in his mind as he submits himself to going back to the Father's house. Amen. A lot of times we do that in prayer and in submission uh, to the Lord. Amen. But when we come to this passage in 2 Chronicles 6, the far country is identified as being a place where God's people are not. I mentioned Sunday morning that the reason why it is a far country is because it is far from where the prodigal in Luke 15 was supposed to be. He was supposed to be in the Father's house. Amen. Representing the church house in some measures. Representing the things of God in a relationship with the Father. Being in the Father's house. Amen. Being a son of the Father can represent being saved by the grace of God in uh, the family of God. Amen. Uh, for some. But also in the aspect of being lost, God had a place for, uh, has a place for, uh, for 
every person that is ever created, has a will for every person that is ever created, created to have a relationship with Him. And those that are lost have not chosen to have the relationship. And those that are, that are saved, but they're backslid, have a relationship that they forsake of their own choosing and choose the world over the Lord. Amen. I hope you see the comparison there. Here, the reason why they are strangers is because they do not belong in Israel. They don't look like Israelites. They don't act like Israelites. Amen. But they have a desire to go to Jerusalem, to go to the temple. Amen. And so, by the fact that they're called strangers, we realize that they are not part of God's people. Amen. The far country, friend, is a place that not only is it filled with lies, but it's filled with people that do not represent the Lord. If you're saved in here tonight, amen, you don't need to choose a far country because there's not only nothing in the world for you, but there is no one in the world for you. Amen. Friends that you pull out of the world will pull you to the world every time. Amen. Those of you in here that may not be saved, amen, there will be a group of people out there that are not saved and they're not part of God's people. They'll want to stop you from getting saved. That'll, that'll tell you that you don't need this and they will be assisting uh, the devil in his ultimate desire, amen, to pull all of this world to hell with him, amen. So we realize that though there's no one in the world for us, amen. And I'll say this, if this is a place to where prayer is difficult for it to come out of and to be received into the ears of Almighty God. It's not a place that I'd ever want to be. For the lost individual, John 9 31 says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. It is, it is the Bible says, God does not hear sinners. Those that have uh, those that are not uh, trying to uh, pursue a relationship with the Lord, those that are not trying to be saved, those that are not trying to submit themselves to God, Jesus said he's not hearing. I'll say this as well. Psalm 66, 18 says this. I believe this is for a lost person or a saved person. It can apply either way. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Can I say this? It is a scary place to be, to be in a place where God, it's not that God cannot hear, it's not that God, uh, that, that God uh, simply does not have the ability to hear, it is that God has chosen not to hear. Can I just remind you, amen, that just because God is who He is and you think being a loving God, He has to hear every prayer that everybody prays, it doesn't mean that you can twist God's arm to do so. Amen. If you want to live in rebellion, don't be surprised if your prayers aren't getting answered. It could be your prayers aren't getting through. Amen. If you have a heart that is filled with iniquity, that is filled with rebellion, amen, you can pray for what you want until you're ready to surrender to the will of God. God's not hearing your prayer. God's not answering your prayers. If you're not going to be saved, if you are here today and you're lost and undone without God and you want to keep praying for this and keep praying for that, the Bible says God does not hear sinners. And I believe it's intended by saying this, sinners that are content with staying that way. Amen. If you're a sinner and you want to be saved, the Bible has already said Jesus told us that we are to call to Him, that we are uh, to use our mouth and confess the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is, that sinner's prayer is a prayer that he hears. But if you're content with staying in the far country as a lost person to stay out in the world and never even make, uh, never have a, uh, never want to be part of the Father's house and have a relationship with Him or being a backslider, that's Tell would live it in the hog slop of sin. Don't be surprised if you don't get your prayers answered. I'm telling you, that's a dangerous place to be. And because of the far country being a place like that, amen, I don't want to go to the far country. 
No one should ever choose, as this prodigal did, to take your journey there. Amen. Number three, go to Proverbs 25, 25 tonight. Proverbs 25, 25. I'll be done shortly. Proverbs 25, 25. <clears throat> Proverbs 25, 25. I mentioned this one briefly on Sunday morning. Why, you may say, we're preaching on this tonight. You may say, preacher, why should I not choose a far country? Number one, it's a place where you'll find nothing but lies and deception. Number two, it's a place that where people are that inhabit that, that are not part of God's people and where, uh, where God is not hearing prayers. Number three, Proverbs 25, 25 tells us that we are not to choose the far country because it is a place that is so bad that it, that it is refreshing if you ever hear anything good coming from there. Look at Proverbs 25, 25. Let me say this before we, we read the verse. I appreciate anybody that's trying to take notes on my odd outline tonight. Amen. Proverbs 25, 25. Notice the Bible says this. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And I understand, let me say this. I understand how we normally preach this verse. I understand how we normally apply this verse. We normally preach this verse and apply this verse as uh, the good news, the gospel that comes from a far country, comes from a heavenly land, comes from the heart of God, and it comes to the world. And if you'll take the good news, it'll be as refreshing as cold waters to a thirsty soul. And no doubt lost people are thirsty and they need the refreshment and the revitalization and the rebirth and the revival that comes from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, and by the way, that's a great application, and that's the way I have preached that verse many times before. But the context of this chapter, uh, Proverbs 25, throughout um, Proverbs 25 and also through Proverbs 29, they are known as the Hezekiah Proverbs. And these Proverbs were not called that because they were written by Hezekiah, but according to chapter 25 in verse number 1, it is because they were penned by Solomon but copied out by Hezekiah. And these particular Proverbs uh, deal with a series of comparisons between a godly man and godliness and an ungodly man and ungodliness and unholiness. So throughout these Four Proverbs, the idea of godliness versus ungodliness, wicked living versus righteous living is seen uh, in these verses. Amen. And so when we come to the 25th verse of the 25th Proverb, amen, when the Bible says, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And it's been dealing with godliness versus ungodliness. Amen. And so the ungodliness godliness of the far country is being put into primary view as we look at this proverb together. Amen. And so notice what he says here. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. In other words, he's saying that the far country is so bad that if you hear anything good out of there, it'll be refreshing. It'll be enjoy. It'll, it'll bring enjoyment. It'll bring peace. It'll bring satisfaction. If there's anything good that can come out of the far country. Let me mention this. We began in Luke 15. That's our illustration for how we are to look at the far country. It's where we began. It's where we find the most famous passage concerning the far country. Let me ask you this question. I know we don't hear an announcement in Luke 15 of the prodigal son coming out of the far country. There was no telephone line to where the father picked it up and the citizen of the far country said, Dad, I just wanted to let you know that your son is coming home, that he's leaving the far country and he's headed your way. We don't find a message being transmitted at all. However, we do know that there 
was a, a message that was delivered by what the father saw. Amen. When he stood at the end of his high, at the end of his road and off in the distance he saw his younger son that had become a prodigal and wasted his substance with riotous living. And we saw he as the father saw him come back home. Amen. Can you imagine how refreshing that might have been? How revitalizing that might have been? How exciting and rejuvenating that might have been? I'll tell you this tonight. It was so revitalizing. It was so refreshing. It was so encouraging that this Jewish father did what Jewish men do not do. If you study Jewish history, you will find that it was completely and totally improper for a Jewish man to ever run. They just didn't do it. Their clothing was not to allow it. It was considered improper. It was considered undignified for a Jewish man to run. But there was something about him seeing his boy leave the far country and come home that made him act in a way that was uncharacteristic of a Jewish man. The Bible said that this, this boy who had hurt him, who had demanded his inheritance, and by doing so had essentially told him, as far as our relationship is concerned, I want my death benefits now. You're just as good to dead as dead to me, Dad. And as father who no doubt was cut deep by those actions and cut deep by those words. Amen. He saw his son coming home. It meant that he'd left the far country and he was now home. Amen. And the Bible said when he saw him, he had compassion and ran and fell on his snake and kissed him. Amen. I'd say, I'd say that this father had received good news in what he saw and it was as refreshing as cold waters to a thirsty father's heart who all that he wants and all that he desires is for his prodigal son to come home. And can I remind you this evening, amen, it's not part of the message, but I'll say this, amen, the idea behind the prodigal, amen, is that they will come home. The word prodigal in its original definition, the reason why we call that boy the prodigal son is, is because it's someone who lives uh, extravagantly. It is someone that wastes their money and their substance. That's what prodigal means. Amen. But it also identifies with the fact, amen, because of that, that passage in Luke 15 of one who leaves in sin but comes back in restoration. Amen. He is a true definition of a prodigal. If you have a prodigal in your life, amen, not only do they leave, but the Bible says a true prodigal comes back home. Amen. A lost prodigal, lost in sin, not saved, uh, does when he comes to the Father, fulfills the role of a prodigal, lost and undone, received by the Father, and rejoicing with the family. A prodigal that is saved but is backslid is a prodigal that leaves. But yet the truth that has been deposited in them, that has been put in them, does not, uh, does not return void. Amen. But they, the truth never leaves them. And it works in them to a point to where the prodigal will come to themselves and arise and come back to the Father's house and the things of God. They're here in this passage, we find cold waters uh, refreshing this father's thirsty soul as he sees coming down uh, the road good news from a far country. Let me say this. If there's a place to where only bad news comes from, if there is a place to where God Almighty would say that if anything good comes out of there, if any good news comes out of there, it will be so refreshing that you hardly won't be able to stand it. That's not a place I want to go, friend. It's not a place I want to take a journey towards. Amen. Go with me to Isaiah 39 tonight. I'm going to hurry through the last ones that I have. Isaiah 39, verse number 3. Isaiah 39, verse number 3. 
I could take time to preach more of this, but I'm not going to. Look at verse 3. The Bible said, Then came Isaiah, the prophet unto King Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then he said, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is in mine house they have seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And then verse number 5, I'm not going to read the word of the Lord, but it says, Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. And in this word that comes from God, we find the very beginning of Israel's journey into, into a captivity, into a Babylonian captivity. We find it being told them about how... Uh, how that they shall be carried to Babylon and nothing of theirs would be left. Here's what happened. Hezekiah had these individuals from a far country from Babylon the Bible says come and in his pride he offered up all that was his they came seemingly peaceably remember the far country is a place of deception they come from a far country they come from Babylon and they come from there and saw and, and Hezekiah wanting to show off all that is his as the king of the nation of Israel lets them in and lets them see everything everything that he has and in doing so they're not just admiring what he has but they're spying out all of the all that would make Israel uh, susceptible to them and all that would cause them to be able to get an advantage in the nation of Israel and Hezekiah in pride did something that was foolish for him to do but when it mentions a far country it's called Babylon a far country if, if the place where I'm going to plant my life, where I'm going to park my life in the scriptures is called Babylon. It's not a place I want to go. You know what the Bible says about Babylon. There's nothing positive mentioned about Babylon in the Bible. They are an idolatrous people. They are a wicked people. They are a perverted people. All they do is have gods that are not the true God. And they live in wickedness and they love their wickedness. Amen. We know what the Bible says about Babylon and we understand what the book of the Revelation talks about. That last day apostate religion talks about mystery, Babylon the mother of harlots and all that is said about that. Amen. In the past in historical Babylon there's nothing good said about it. Amen. In future prophetical Babylon there's nothing good said about it. I don't want to live in Babylon. Amen. I'd much rather live a victorious Christian life in Canaan land and not in Babylon. Amen. So we see that a far country is comparable to Babylon and its wickedness. And therefore, we should not take a journey into a far country. There's more that I could preach tonight, but I'm not going to this evening. If the Lord leads us to, we will down the road. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. I'll give you the verses. Jeremiah 6.20. In talking about the far country... We see that we ought not to take a journey into Babylon because it is a place that corrupts anything good that can be found therein and is a place where God does not even receive their worship. Jeremiah 6.20. Jeremiah 8.19. We see that the far country is to not be journeyed into. You're not to go there because God used the far country as a punishment for the sin of idolatry in the lives of His children. If God... Is if I choose a place to live as a Christian to where I cannot worship God from there and that anything good that is found in there is corrupted. In, Je in Jeremiah chapter number 6 he talked about the sweet cane that came from Sheba and even though the incense smelled good and the sweet cane tasted good, God said even you use it as an act of worship I will not receive it. It came from a far country and it was 
was, was given unto me in a hypocritical manner, and I will not receive it. I don't want that for my life. I want God to receive my worship as a child of God. Amen. And I don't want to face God's punishment. God said in Jeremiah chapter number 8, that he will have, if you go to the far country, God will use it to punish in your, to be, to be punishment in your life for choosing a God other than him. If you're lost and you serve anything lost or saved and let anything become a God in your life other than God of Israel, God may just allow you to sojourn there and to get what you want in the far country, amen, as a punishment for you and will try to show you in all of the devastation of the far country why the gods you've chosen are no gods at all and why he is the choice and why he should be your desire. That's what's in the far country. That's what the far country has for you. I encourage you tonight. So many reasons in the Word of God why no one should ever go to the far country. And I'm sad to say that so many in my life and ministry I've seen, even in my time here as pastor of this church, I've seen more head to the far country that claim to be saved, claim to be walking with God, claim to be uh, wanting His will for their life. They've departed for a far country. And I'll be honest with you, I've not seen one yet. Now I'm prayerful they will, and I believe God can uh, can get them back. I, I'm praying for these folks to come to themselves, amen. But there's more, amen, than I would ever care uh, to see any more of that left this church that claimed to be saved and went out in the far country. And as of right now, none of them have ever come back. There is a hold from the far country. There is a grip that it has. And God will give you. One of, the, one of the scariest truths of Scripture is God will give you what you want. Israel wanted their false gods. God let them have them. But they'd have to have captivity. They, uh, Israel wanted judges, or excuse me, didn't want judges and wanted a king. God gave them the king they wanted. But they found out there's issues with choosing Saul over your judges. Amen. God will give you what you want. Sinner friend, if you want hell, Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to go. But if you want to go, God will allow you to make that choice. But if you want heaven, he'll let you have that too. If child of God, if you want to live in sin and you want to ruin your life out in the far country, God will let you stay in the hog pen as long as you want. He'll give you the ability to come back to yourself, but he'll let you stay there as long as you want. But, but child of God, I'll say this. If you want what's right, and you want the Bible, and you want the truth, and you want holiness, God will let you have that too. If you want the anointing of God on your life, He'll let you have that. If you want God to use your life in a special way, He'll let you have that. But if you're not concerned, and you live in apathy, He'll let you keep your apathy. Amen. We're living in a world today that doesn't want anything to do with God. And God's going to let them have what they want. Romans chapter number 1 teaches us that. God gave them up. God gave them up. It's repeated twice. Then God gave them over. God will give this wicked world what they want. God will give you, child of God, as much of Him as you want or as little of Him as you want. You can choose the far country, but I've given you in the last of Sunday morning and tonight enough reasons for the entire world to choose. That's not a place that I want, but here's what I'm afraid of. Even though the world knows, even though you know, even though this church knows, that's not a place they need to be. They'll still choose it anyway. And you will not be able to go there and say that this preacher didn't warn you, that this Bible did not give you all that you needed to avoid that heartache. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.